0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ for the next sermon in our series, Back to the Start. When I was growing up, my mom loved to watch classic movies. I mean, she still does. So consequently, I ended up watching a lot of old movies. Now, many of them were musicals, but the one common thread That ran through almost all of these movies that we watched is that one in one way or another. They were love stories So I want to see as we get started here today if you can identify These lines from these movies. Are you ready? Okay, here we go as you wish Which this is of course from the princess bride How about this one never let go? Mmm, a little bit more challenging, it's from Titanic. Or how about this one? Kiss me, kiss me as if it were the last time. Anyone? Casablanca. How about this? You make me wanna be a better man. No, I'm not gonna do the voice. But that, of course, is from As Good As It Gets. Couple more. You complete me. Do you know it? It's from Jerry Maguire. And just one last one. You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ready? It's a wonderful life. Now, there is something compelling about a love story. And there is a reason why People keep writing them and movies keep getting made showing the nature of love because love is a deep and mystical thing whose spell all of us have fallen under at more than one time in our lives. I mean hopefully our first experience with love started with the love of your parents or your family and you know then your friends who became so close to you and perhaps your first boyfriend or girlfriend. And then love changes a little bit when you find that person that you want to marry, your husband or your wife, and love takes on a different form. And then finally, of course, when you have kids, you understand love in a very different way than maybe you did before. All of us have been touched by love in ways that are mostly good, and in some ways that are negative. Not everyone had a good relationship with their parents. Some of us have had our hearts broken multiple times and there are some hurts we still may be carrying around from a love that did not last. But I think that this is why we love love stories. They are messy and complicated. There are so many feelings that go into them. They they elicit a response from us that we may not always be expecting. And if any of you are thinking that you have never responded that way to a love story, then maybe you just haven't seen the right one. Or perhaps you're an unthinking, cruel robot. So, let's move on. I have been asking one pretty crucial question over the last several weeks about the Gospel. And that question is, what kind of story is the Gospel? It's the story we've seen of God's intervention into a broken world. Jesus entered into a world that was torn apart by race, religious elitism, social and political constructs. It was a hard and difficult place to be and mankind wasn't in the best mood. But Jesus spent time with those who were ignored and broken, giving them a place in the kingdom of God. All were welcome at his table. The gospel we've seen is a story that is alive. It needs to interact with someone's life in order to reach its fullness. And we saw that in two different ways. The, the woman who came to the well, too ashamed of her own life story, and she met Jesus there when she left the well, proclaiming that her life story would not be held against her anymore because she had met the Savior, Meeting Jesus changed her story. Zacchaeus had lied and stolen from his own people no one liked him and they certainly didn't respect him. Jesus invited himself into the home of Zacchaeus into his mess and by the end of the day Zacchaeus had turned himself around and was restored to God and to his people. We see the gospel have an enormous effect on those who need their story to be changed, and when the gospel takes hold, that person's life is never the same. So what kind of story then is it that we're telling? What kind of story is the gospel? I mean, here's how we may look at it. It's, it's easy to accept that all of those things can happen in the lives of others when it's Jesus telling the story and Jesus sitting there talking to them. And maybe you even have the question, how can the gospel be as effective when I tell it? Well, we have to know, again, what kind of story the gospel is. It's not some sort of intellectual exercise of trying to get someone to think the way that you do. Instead, it's it's the planting of something deep and meaningful that can take root if the soil is good and the story is told as it can be. The reason why the gospel can have this effect, the effect that we've seen on the lives of others, is that at its core it is a love story. There is something compelling about it that draws in not only our minds but our hearts and our emotions. Let me show you. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father give me my share of the estate so he divided his property between them. Not long after that the younger son got together all he had This is an incredible story, and it's one that the whole world knows well, and people know what the phrase prodigal means. And it's incredible for several different reasons. One, it's just a wonderful piece of storytelling on the part of Jesus. He knew exactly what he wanted to tell the crowd that was listening to him that day, and he wanted to tell them the gospel. He wanted them to know just how much God loved them. But he knew the message of God loves you would not cover exactly what it was that he wanted these people to get. So he told this story. Now the characters in the story are distinct, even though there is not a lot of detail given. We don't have any sort of descriptions or prior knowledge of them. So, we're not going to talk about the older brother today. Instead, we're going to look at the younger brother, the youngest son, and the father. Let's start with the youngest son. I I think it's hard for us to wrap our minds around how awful of a person this younger son is supposed to be. But it starts with this. He went to his father and asked for his share of the inheritance while his father was still alive. Now, per Jewish law, the older son would receive two-thirds of the estate and the younger son would receive one-third of the estate and maybe even less if he had sisters because some of his portion would have to go to their dowry. Now this practice was typically done when the father had passed. Now it could conceivably be done earlier, the law didn't forbid it, but Jewish law did advise against it, and I think for obvious reasons that we don't have to dig too deep to find. It's hard to overlook the fact that this son was basically saying, I can't wait for you to die, so will you give me what you owe me I want it now. The father, for reasons we are not told, decides to give his youngest son a share, and he divides up his property. The son took his share, the work of his father's life, converted it to cash, which might have even involved selling off some of the family land, left for a foreign country, and spent it on whatever he wanted to. The NIV says, while living. The direct translation is that he lived recklessly. He squandered it all. He didn't take into account where it was going or what he was going to do with his life. He just took his father's wealth and did whatever he wanted to. Now, this is important for us to dig deeper into this story, a story that I know you, you know so well. How are we supposed to feel about this younger son at this point? you are supposed to dislike him and it's not hard to dislike him he's not the kind of person we want our children to be and certainly not the kind of person that we would respect but that leads us to the next part of the story and let's just call this part he gets what he deserves he hired himself out to a citizen of the land who sent him out to feed the pigs. Now there was a severe famine and he had nothing to eat. And he looked at the pods the pigs were eating and he wished that he could have that kind of food. He wished he could eat what they were eating. And this, my friends, is what we call hitting rock bottom. And. As readers, this is where we should expect him to be because he is an otherwise unsympathetic person. He gets exactly what he deserves. And we don't really feel sorry for him. Picking it up in verse 17, Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father is who this story is actually about. One writer renamed the parable from the parable of the prodigal son to the parable of the dancing god the son and this is so funny to me it says that he came to his senses and here's what he realized it's not just that he realized his father's servants have food to spare he realized that his father is a good man this is a funny moment for me it's not like his father has changed his father has always been this way but the the son had reached a point where he thought he didn't need his father anymore he wanted to live his own life and he didn't really care who he hurt along the way but there amongst the pigs starving to death he realized that his father took care of everyone in his household so much so that even the servants had food to spare So he does what he should do. He decides that he's going to go back home, but he's not going to go back home as the son. He resigns that he is not going to ask his father for sonship. He will just be a servant. And we are to think at this point in the story, that's right, because you don't deserve sonship. Your father has no obligation to take you back based on the way you treated him and your family and all that he had done. So the son works out this speech in his head. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Sets off for home. And I have always imagined in my head him practicing this speech the whole way. Father, I have sinned against you in heaven. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and over and over again. And I wonder how he felt about the moment he was going to see his father again. I mean, was he even guaranteed to get a meeting with his dad? Or would he have to deal with maybe the person who runs all the labor and, and just go that way? Would his father acknowledge him at all? And it's at this point in the story that something incredible happened, which is intended to shock us as readers, just as it was intended to shock those who heard it for the first time. And it starts with these words. While he was still a long way off. Those words, they're they're so important to this story. Because while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He, He recognized him from this distance. And immediately, his heart was filled with compassion. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. And there is something we learn about the father here. Number one, he knew his son. He probably knew what his son would do with the inheritance, and we don't even know that he was surprised that his son asked for it in the first place. But not only that, he knew his son as he was coming down the road, and he loved his son, no matter what his son had done. That that term, his heart was filled with compassion. He was moved on behalf of his son without getting any sort of explanation, apology, or anything else about what had happened and what had gone on. And then he ran to his son. He did not make his son come to him. He didn't make him crawl back and beg for something, he ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him before he could say a word. Before he could say a word. The son tried to give his speech, admit his fault, take his share of the responsibility, but The father never asked for that and instead of making his son a servant, he restored him to full sonship. He gave him the best robe, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, claiming him back as his son. Then he threw a party. He said, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is now found. This is an extraordinary story, but do you really understand why? When I was a youth minister, one of my buddies found a video that told this story of a young man, like 13 or 14. Uh, He left home on his bike with his share of what He could get from his parents, he partied with all his friends, went to arcades and bought candy and did all these different sorts of things, and he ended up with nothing on the street. And when this kid returned to his home, he got to his house and went up and knocked the door, but the lights were out and no one was there. And the kid, in this awful moment, realized that he could never go back Because what he had done was so awful, his parents weren't looking for him. And he could never go home. And then he turns and he sees a for sale sign. And he just walks away. That's awful. (laughs) It's awful. And the reaction from when we showed this video was, Immediate and dramatic. Kids were saying, no, that's not how the story goes. And they were right. But here's the thing, that should have been the story. It should have been how this story ended. This is, in fact, what the youngest son deserved. He did not deserve to be restored, but the father did it anyway. Why? Because he loved his son and it did not matter it did not matter that his son had disrespected him and lost everything he was just so grateful to have him back and he restored him without a word rejoicing and celebrating the return of his son church the gospel story is a love story and the seed of the gospel story is that God loves you, Jesus died for you, and through him you have everlasting life. But this parable that Jesus told, which tells this story, the acceptance of the one who had gone away, this parable drives something different home about the gospel message. And here's what this parable says. No matter what you have done, or how far away you may be, you can always come home. The Father will be watching for you. And when he sees you, he will run out to greet you. He will not treat you as you deserve. Instead, he will restore you, celebrate over you and welcome you home this story is the gospel given muscle flesh and skin and here is maybe where we've gotten off track in our understanding of the gospel and how we communicate to the world we said to ourselves well of course people's lives are changed if they meet jesus and jesus goes into their homes i mean but how can we tell the story in the same way but here's the thing Jesus is telling the story through you. Jesus is telling the story of the gospel because it is his story after all. It is God's story lived out through the life of his crucified and resurrected son. Which makes me think that when we have trouble telling the gospel story, that maybe we need to get in touch with our own story first. If we are going to introduce this love story to others, after all, weren't you once lost but now found? Didn't God rejoice and celebrate over you? The gospel story is your story. The story of the prodigal son is your story. It is a love story about how God did not hold things against you but took you back wrapping his arms around you kissing you and telling you let's rejoice my son was lost but now he is found he was dead but now he is alive this is the beating heart of the gospel story may God give you the insight, to touch base with that story in your heart again. And as you wrap your mind around what God has done for you, around what Jesus has done for you, about how your sins are held against you no more, may the love of God in the gospel fill you so that you cannot help but tell your story. Thanks for being here with us today, we'll see you next time.